This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello and welcome to the Talking Geosciences podcast, brought to you by the School of Geosciences at the University of Aberdeen. Over the course of this series, we will hear staff and students discuss how their teaching and research is helping us understand and address contemporary global challenges, including sustainability and climate change. In this episode, Professor Javier Martin Torres and his team of researchers from the Department of Planetary Sciences share their insights into the exciting field of planetary science and space exploration and tell us how space technologies are key to understanding climate change and other challenges we face today. So Javier, can you tell me a little bit about the Department of Planetary Sciences here at the University of Aberdeen? Sure. The Department of Planetary Sciences is an interdisciplinary department. Uh, we, our, our main aim is to study Earth and planets. And for that, we not only develop models, but we also develop instrumentation. Instrumentation that will go to planets like Mars, for example. We have an instrument that is right now operating on the surface of Mars in the Curiosity rover, and we will have another instrument operating on Mars soon. Uh, for us, it's very important what we call comparative planetology, where we can study other planets to learn more about our own planet. For example, we want to know what happened to the climate on Mars. Mars is a very dry planet. We want to know if that uh, problem that Mars has in the past, that was a, a, a very humid place and become dry, we want to know if something like that can happen to our own planet, and we want to avoid that. So we can learn a lot about studying other planets to, to learn about the evolution of Earth and from past and, and future of it. And for that, it's, for us, it's also very important uh, to know, for example, things like how life emerged on our planet. That is something that we call astrobiology. Astrobiology is something that deals with uh, life, how life has started in our planet. Is life possible in other planets? Can we find life on Mars, for example? Can we fi- find life on, on the lakes of Titan or under the surface of, uh, of ice of uh, Europa? So astrobiology is, is one of the main goals of the group too. We have several projects related to astrobiology. And, uh, and um, it's, it's, I think it's a very appealing, appealing topic for, for, for young people, and, and not only for young people, I am not so young and also very interested in astrobiology, mm-hmm. because we deal with things like uh, uh, how life started on Earth, can, be, or can other forms of life be in planets like uh, Jupiter, Saturn, can we find life in exoplanets? We are discovering exoplanets every day. I mean, there will be a lot uh, of, uh, of different worlds everywhere in the universe. And uh, we want to know if life can be uh, developed there and how, how it can evolve. And in the long term, we want to know also what will happen with our own life. I mean, we will need to migrate to another planet, how the, the climate of our planet will change are we going to be affected by that? So all these kind of topics are covered by the Department of Planetary Sciences in Aberdeen. Uh, you mentioned there that you uh, plan to have an instrument on, you currently have one now, but you also uh, plan to send one in, in the future. Um, can you tell me specifically a bit more about, about that um, instrument and the project that, uh, that, that involves? Yes, we have an instrument in the Curiosity rover on Mars. It's been operating in the surface of Mars for more than 10 years now. 
and uh, it's called REMS, it's a meteorological station. And so every time that we see, uh, you see it, uh, the temperature, the pressure, the humidity on Mars, every, every time that you see the weather on Mars, this is provided by the Or Meteorological Station. So we have developed uh, another instrument called HABIT that stands for habitability, brines, irradiation, and temperature, which is also a meteorological station. But in addition to that, we have an instrument that will provide for the first time liquid water on the surface of Mars. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting instrument that will pave the way for the future exploration of Mars. Uh, it will provide the water that astronauts will need when they stand on Mars, stay on Mars, or the water that uh, a greenhouse will need uh, if we, at some point, land on the surface of, of the red planet. That's fascinating. And, and Miracle, can you tell me a little bit about your, your involvement in, in this project? Yeah, sure. Um, for, with respect to habit, uh, we've been, as a team, we've been working on for the last seven years and uh, we, we have uh, dedicated a lot of time with the calibration of different sensors of the instrument. Uh, we have the facilities to, to do the calibration in-house, um, so right from uh, temperature testing to the one uh, Professor Javier was talking about, which produces the liquid water. So testing um, the sensors that measures how much liquid water is produced is one of the things which we want to quantify so that we can replicate in a large quantity uh, when we send a bigger habit, for example, uh, in, the, in the future. Um, along with that, I mean, this is a very common topic for our, of our team, habitability, looking for conditions of uh, life, uh, looking for signs of life, either present or past. So these are the uh, topics that ties each and every one uh, in our team. Uh, along with that topic, I'm also, uh, as, a, as my uh, own project, uh, the project I'm leading, um, I'm working more on uh, looking for signs of life in liquid systems. Uh, for example, in the ocean worlds in our solar system, that's the uh, that's the vision, um, and we we have a lot of um, places on Earth, extreme places where life exists in liquid systems. So we develop instrumentation in the in the laboratory, uh, take it to those places, and measure parameters that can tell us what kind of life is present and how we can measure them. And th that instrument uh, I'm working on right now is called uh, SAM. It stands for Subliquid and Atmospheric Measurement. Um, and along with that, it, it measures a lot of parameters. Uh, mostly in the liquid and the atmosphere surrounding it that can tell some signs about the presence of life and how it grows over time. Uh, also, we are working on um, on extension of that, how to sample liquids uh, in precise quantities so that can be transported and distributed to um, more, more and more downstream biological analysis equipment. Mm -hmm. um, it can, could be developed by us or could be developed by others, but this can give a concept of how an instrument can work in uh, places with uh, liquid, such as in, in the Indian Enceladus, the, one of the moon of Saturn, or Europa, um, moon of Jupiter, and also in Titan, which has uh, lakes of methane and ethane. Oh, that's really interesting. And it sounds to me like from what you've both described is that this kind of work involves lots of perspectives. Javier, you mentioned this is a strongly interdisciplinary uh, group here you have at, at Aberdeen. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, you know, the different type of um, disciplines involved in this study? I mean, from uh, microbiology to engineering to uh, geosciences and things like that. Yeah, actually, this is one of the beauties of our department is that uh, we cover a lot of different areas. It's also very challenging because uh, we keep all learning every day. <laughs> I keep learning about microbiology, about geology. I'm a physicist by formation. And so 
uh, we involve people from all different areas. In general, I always say that uh, there is always a space, uh, there is a space for everybody in a space. Uh, at, at the end, in the future, if we land on, on the moon, if we land on Mars, uh, if we have an international space station around the moon, we, have a, we need everybody from all the different backgrounds. We will need medical doctors, we we'll need uh, nurses, we we'll need uh, chemists, we need physicists, uh, geologists, everybody uh, in, in different, we need lawyers because at some point if we, for example, uh, exploit the resources of the moon on Mars, I'm sure that there will be companies interested on that, there will be countries interested on that if there is a, a, a value around that. So I'm sure that the lawyers will be needed in space too. So all the different uh, fields uh, will have a, a contribution in space. So right now in our different projects we have uh, collaborated with microbiologists, with biologists, geologists. Uh, and something very interesting that I found is that the uh, students in geology, they never think that the space is for them. But uh, ironically, all the principal investigators of all the Mars missions in the past, they've been geologists. Because all the previous missions to Mars, they, they were dedicated to explore or to understand the geology of Mars, to study the past of Mars. So, yeah, yeah this is a very multidisciplinary team, and uh, we're, we're very proud of that. It's very challenging, but it's very nice. I also would like to highlight regarding habit, that uh, <clears throat> something that we need if we go to Mars with astronauts in the future, is resources. We need to produce resources in situ because it's very expensive to bring all the resources from, from Earth to, to Mars. Uh, it's very heavy and expensive. So we need to produce as much resources as possible on the surface. So Habit is going to be the first, the first European instrument that will produce one of these important resources for the surface of, uh, on the surface of Mars, which is water. And water is not only uh, it cannot be only used to to for to to feed astronauts or or, to, or or greenhouses. It can also be broken in hydrogen and oxygen. So we can also produce hydrogen and oxygen on Mars if we produce water. So I really think that our instrument is is a very important one. And, and, and as, as I said before, it's the first European instrument that is a, is the first in situ resource utilization instrument that we land on the surface of Mars. Well, that's that's really interesting. And um, uh, Jyoti and Tashwin, as as a microbiologist as and an engineer, can you tell me a bit about like what attracted you both to uh, planetary sciences and how, you know, you can apply your your background and your skills and knowledge to this to this area? Uh, let's start with you, Jyoti. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. So my PhD is actually funded by UKRI, UK Research and Innovation, and they're. Main focus is understanding climate change, environment, biodiversity, and ecology. So my broad subject is microbiology with the focus of astrobiology. And um, Javier has already spoken and explained what is astrobiology. And I was always fascinated about studying signs of life on other planets. So how could biology help in this is um, biology in microbiology especially is focused on uh, like DNA and our cells and the genetic material involved in it. And one of the hypotheses is that DNA is probably present in other planets, and that's a sign of life in the subsurface level. So with my background uh, on Earth, I'm able to explore some extreme environments where there's very limited amount of uh, life. 
and how do I get the this extracted material out of it and sequencing and find the signs of life. So if I'm able to find it on Earth in extreme environments, we can use that and apply it to different planets as well. So uh, and also the, we can also understand in this way the biodiversity of uh, on Earth, which is also uh, limited sometimes because of uh, technology. But now with the advancements and uh, different uh, sequencing technology, extraction kits, you know, we are able to explore even very limited environments like even Antarctica, where they are finding uh, life there. So I guess in that way we can apply it to different planets and understand. That's what fascinates me as a microbiology with the advancement. And my research also can focus on carbon cycling. Like if I explore the microbes in soil uh, and I understand how they are involved in the carbon cycling on Earth, we can understand the future impact on climate and how they would help um, affect, uh, control all the gases that is affecting the global warming at the moment. Great. And, and Tashwin, yeah, from your perspective as an engineer, uh, what attracted you to planetary sciences? And can you tell me a little bit about in terms of um, how, how you bring your kind of perspectives and skills to, to these projects? Definitely. So as Professor Javier mentioned, uh, planetary sciences is a very interdisciplinary team and engineering plays a major role, especially with the development of instrumentation. So my background with engineering really helps me with the planetary sciences because it helps me to develop uh, an instrument from a scientific point of view. So the instruments that I have worked on is with Habit instrument. So uh, I was responsible for ensuring um, that any instrument that we send is not going to contaminate other planetary bodies. So this is something a synergist like an application where biology and engineering work together. So we have something called planetary protection where we don't want to contaminate Mars with sort of life that we send from Earth so that it would jeopardize the future missions. So this is an aspect where engineering and biology works together for a space mission. So this is an aspect that I work on. And here at the University of Aberdeen, we have developed a clean room, which is an ISO class 5. That means that it's quite clean in terms of making sure that's no sort of a contamination. So this is very important, especially that you need to develop instruments to make sure that uh, it's done in a very clean environment and doesn't transport sort of microbes to other planets. So this is an aspect that we work on. And apart from that, from, as an engineer, from an engineering point of view, I develop instrumentation for environmental science. So we work with uh, the Harvard University on a project called Galileo, so where we want to study unexplained aerial phenomena. So for that, we need a suit of different sensors that can study a range of environmental parameters, something related to space weather, and also related to how it impacts the conditions on the Earth. So we have sent an instrument called N-Pac-Man, which is a new form of particle counter, K-index magnetic anomaly, that studies both particle radiation and also studies the magnetic field. And we also are developing a new novel system. It's called a UV, an all-sky UV imaging system, which tries to map the entire sky in a UV spectrum, because all the images that we have for Earth-based all-sky imaging is restricted to visible and infrared, but this is the first time we are going something below visible, we are going to the ultraviolet region. So these are the projects I also work on along with my team here. Great, that sounds really, really interesting. Uh, so from the perspective of somebody, Javier, at school at the moment, who's thinking about university and interested in planets and planetary sciences, uh, what opportunities would there be to study uh, some of these topics um, as a student here at Aberdeen? Uh, firstly, as, a, as an undergraduate student doing a, a Bachelor of Science, for example. Yeah, in the School of Geosciences, uh, we have uh, two courses that are related to planetary sciences. So, 
for uh, children or for high school students that would like to join us in the future, I would advise them to join our school. Here they will be exposed not only to those classes, but also to all the uh, engineers and scientists working in planetary sciences. We also have other people like Malcolm Hall or Alex Brazier are also interested in, in planetary science. Uh, so in general, uh, they will be if they come to the university here, they will they will be they will be able, for example, to visit our labs to see what we are doing. They will be able to see one instrument that in, in a few years will be on Mars. That's something very nice to see. It's a nice experience to see something on Earth that later you will see in the pictures from the newspapers that are on Mars. And in general, I think that this is a, a university that. Uh, started this Department of Planetary Sciences only three years ago, but now it's growing very fast in the terms of, in terms of the number of projects that we are involved. And uh, I really advise people to come here to Aberdeen. And then for somebody looking for something more advanced at a postgraduate level, you have a, a master's program on planetary sciences too. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And maybe also in terms of from a careers perspective, obviously the, the space sector is in the news a lot. It seems to be a lot of new organizations, both private and publicly funded, uh, operating in this field. Um, what do you think would be you know, a good pathway for um, somebody who wanted to work in this, in this sector? Yes, yeah, exactly. I will start by the second question about the future careers. And, uh, I would like to mention that uh, the, there already have been more than 250 robotic spacecraft that have been launched to space, that there have been 24 humans on the moon, and that uh, more than 620 people have been in space, in the International Space Station. And, well, what I always say about the times that we are living, I think that we are very fortunate for people that like, that like space. We really live in the golden age of space exploration. And uh, right now, more than 400 billions are moved uh, by the global space economy. And the prediction is that it's going to grow to 1.1 trillion by 2040. So there will be a lot of jobs related to space. I mean, there will be there are a lot of companies, and uh, you have heard of Blue Origin, SpaceX. And there, there are a lot of companies that are even competing with the space agencies. So there is there will be a lot of opportunities in the future to work in space. Space will be a big business in, in the next years, and it's growing fast. Every every day we have launches to space. So that said, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, there is a space for everybody in space, and uh, with that in mind. We, we have uh, developed a, a Master of Planetary Sciences at the university that uh, is open to people that has a background in, in, in any field. Actually, we have uh, in, in our master, we have people from microbiology, from biology, from geology. We have some physicists, we have engineers. So we have created a, a master that everybody uh, can, can follow. I mean, we, we have tried to, uh, to avoid uh, all the mathematics that many times scare people. Uh, we are, we are adapted a program to every particular needs and for every particular background. So we leave the student to, to, to learn as much as possible within their capabilities or the backgrounds. We lead them to apply their knowledge to a space project. 
So at the end, I think it's a very nice project for people that would like to, to it's, it's, a, it's a very nice program for people that would like to uh, develop a career in space. After the master, there are two options, two main options, one, the academic one, or the other one could be going to work for a company. The academic one will require that you do a PhD, and then in, in that sense, there are many places in the UK where you can apply, and there are many places worldwide where you can apply for PhDs. I mean, we also, from time to time, we open PhD positions. For example, Yoti is a PhD student with us. So, and the other path is, is to follow the, the company path that I mentioned before. I mean, there is a, a growing economy in a space where we will need people from any background. And the Master of Planetary Sciences cover many different topics that go from geology, internal process of the Earth, to exoplanets, to space weather, to how you go from an idea to send an instrument to space to develop that idea, to submit a proposal and to analyze the data. Um, so we have a we have a course on astrobiology, for example, and on sustainability, and so it's a very wide uh, and, and open program that uh, fits uh, anybody that would like to apply for it. So you don't need to be a physicist or an engineer or a mathematician to apply for the master. You can have any background to apply for it. And uh, something I mean, I guess people probably associate historically space exploration with. The United States and, and Russia and, and formerly obviously the, the Soviet Union going back to you know the 50s and 60s um, it seems now that this is a much more global uh, sector um, you mentioned some companies there and, and agencies um, do you see that continuing that trend continuing in terms of this becoming more of a, a global um, sector well def definitely actually right now we have United States China Russia the European Space Agency India Iran, Israel, and Japan with capabilities to launch instruments to space. So this has changed a lot since the Cold War. We, we only had uh, the United States and Russia. And then we have all these space companies that are developing their own rockets. Actually, NASA now is, for example, uh, hiring companies to launch rockets for them. So the, the space sector in, in terms of company is growing so fast that at some point, they would be more important than the own that, that the space agencies, that the national space agencies. So I really see a, a exponential growth in the next years. Well, that leads me on then to my final question. I wanted to ask each of you, from your own personal perspectives or maybe disciplinary perspectives, what what, what are the most what are the um, most exciting things you um, hope to see happening in your area over the next you know ten or ten or fifteen years. Um, why don't I start with uh, with uh, Tashro? So as Professor mentioned, um, space is becoming available to all. So there are so many private sectors who are getting into space. So engineering for space is going to be accessible to all, which was quite restricted to space organization. It's going to be made accessible to a lot of people. So it's going to be like so much of opportunities for engineers to start working on a lot of space missions. And this is a big future I look forward. And Jyoti? Yeah, uh, with respect to me, I would actually, <laughs> it's my personal fascination that to see any microbe on Earth that can survive Mars, Martian conditions or other, uh, uh, any cosmic conditions, you know, um, they are capable of um, sustaining and uh, resisting any sort of uh, radiations and environment, harsh conditions. So if, if there's anything that could do that outside, that would be really great. And also finding any signs of life. 
particularly Mars at the moment because that's where most of the exploration is happening and finding any sign of DNA or any other life would be also great. I suppose that's a question that fascinates lots of people. Yeah. As scientists, how probable do you think that is, that there will be life found within even our solar system or, or beyond in, in future years? Well, because we are working on it, our probability should be higher, <laughs> I would say. if uh, I would expect at least more than 80%. Right. Considering Mars having a previous history of similar atmosphere with respect to Earth, I'm hoping there's at least some subsurface stored DNA in there. So my hopes are higher as a microbiologist. Let's see what the others <laughs> tell <laughs> Yeah, so Miracle, I mean, I, I suppose more generally, what, what is the area or the thing that you are, you are most excited about, uh, either currently or in the, in the near future? Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned the timeline, 15 years, that's a, that's a long time. I think a lot of students, high school students particularly, who are probably just having an initial idea about working in space industry, they probably will be leading projects, they will probably be managing stuff during during those time. So I'm, I'm in, my, me, I'm particularly interested in uh, exploration as an as an explorer um, I, I would like to see humans going to Mars that's one big thing and also everyone is interested in, in looking for life so any sign of life anything that is past uh, will be good uh, especially I'm interested more in the liquid environments of uh, Saturn and uh, Jupiter's moons so if if even if there's mission commissioned and going there and landing and say hopefully sailing uh, drilling the ice and going to into the under sub subsurface uh, uh, lakes or subsurface oceans, that is a big technological advantage. So that that will open a lot of ways, a lot of new missions that can go in the future. So this is just still in a still in sci-fi uh, phase, mm -hmm. um, but that will be a reality hopefully in the future. Yeah, and Javier, I'll leave you to to sum up then. What's your yeah. uh, big hope or? Uh, what, what gets you excited at the moment about in planetary? I will divide it in two parts. So I will talk first about before 2040, so in the next, uh, in the near future. So in the near future, I've seen the three biggest achievements that we will have is one is the landing on the moon with astronauts. That's something that is, it, it didn't happen since the last 50 years. So I think now it's time to land on the, on, on the moon. This is a, it's going to be a great achievement. It's not as simple as it looks because we, when we look back, we saw that uh, in, in, the, in the 69 in 69 and the 70s we were able to land, but now it's not so simple. So this is going to be a big technological achievement. At some point we will have an a, a, a international space station around the moon, which is called it will be called Lunar Gateway where we have a lot of experiments, we will prepare ourselves to the big jump to go to Mars. And I think that a very interesting project from a scientific point of view is the Mars sample return. So we have a mission now on Mars that is taking samples that will be sent back to Earth in the next years. I mean, we will analyze Mars samples on Earth for the first time ever. We may discover that there was life on Mars, so that would be a, a great achievement. So we will see that from, from a, for the near future, I'm not so optimistic in, in the sense that I don't think that we will reach Mars before 2040. I think that we will reach it later. Uh, I don't see Mars as a, as a place to escape from Earth. <laughs> I see Mars as a place to, for research. And uh, I think that uh, if there was life on Mars in the past, which is highly probable, 
likely, I think that they must be live in the subsurface. So my hope is that in the next 34 years we can find life, life under the surface of Mars. And maybe we can find some biosignatures from the big amount of exoplanets that uh, we are discovering every day. The problem with that is that, uh, I mean, if you discover life, you, you need a big evidence. And so I, I find very difficult that everybody will believe that a planet that is many light years away has life. We can find some some signals that there could be life there, but uh, I, I find very difficult to to convince everybody that it's life. But still, it, it may be possible that we find some biosignatures in, in exoplanets that will excite everybody. Maybe we can try communication with uh, the planet. We can send, send radio signals and see if they reply back. But still, they are so far away that this is going to take uh, centuries until we get the, their signal back. But, uh, but so I think that those are the most, uh, the most uh, relevant technological and, and scientific uh, challenges or, or, or results that we have in the future. I mean, I say challenges and achievements because they are, they are both together. So even analyzing the samples from Mars is going to be a, a challenge and so that we can say that it's life or, or not uh, in the samples. But uh, I, I really foresee a very nice future for young generations, for students that are listening to us that would like to pursue a, a, a career in space or planetary sciences. I think there is a lot of work to be done. And uh, I really think that this is going to be uh, that this uh, golden age of exploration will last for, for many decades. You've been listening to the Talking Geosciences podcast from the School of Geosciences at the University of Aberdeen. For more information about our teaching and research, visit our website www.abdn.ac.uk geosciences or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.